Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today we're actually rounding out the month of April and if I wish that I had actually, Melissa had actually contacted me about this at the beginning of the month instead of trying to fit it in sometime in the month of April. But April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And basically, I had my really good friend, Melissa Harold, who's been on the show several, several, several times before, as you may remember. And she is coming on again. She's a mental health professional, but she works with the Head Start Wages community, which is for preschool children. So I really appreciate the fact that she's always coming with me, coming to me with ideas about things that shows to have on, people to have on the show, topics for the show, always willing to help me out whenever I want to want to have a show about mental health or anything. And so basically, this basically is the Melissa Melissa show again today. And I really hope you really enjoy this episode. For the majority of the episode, Melissa does do most of the talking. I let her, I just said, you know what, you do what you need to do, your presentation, and then you get go from there so for the majority of the time Melissa is talking and I want to say that this particular episode we actually filmed and recorded outside because I really wanted to show everybody what the outside of the blog cabin looks like everybody sees what the inside of the blog cabin looks like but nobody really gets to see what the outside looks like so if you hear some noise it's because I am outside the blog cabin and we are sitting on the front porch and it's like we're having a glass of tea, having a conversation. So you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. guys welcome back to the melissa melissa show again um it seems like we're doing this all the time now aren't we melissa i know i'm excited and today is actually i have been looking forward to doing a outside in person live from the blog cabin so i'm we are actually sitting on the front porch of the blog cabin at the moment and i'm gonna hop out in just a few minutes and let melissa kind of take over the show we thought it was such a pretty day and i kind of wanted you guys to get a feel of what the outside of the blog cabin looked like as well so we're talking about something very important, something that affects, I think, everybody, um, whether or not you have children or not. But we're talking about child abuse. And April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And Melissa actually came to me with the idea of doing uh, a show about child abuse prevention, because that's basically what you deal with because you're a mental health professional. Right, right. right. And I'm currently working in the Head Start, early Head Start world. So it's very, very important, this message. So before we get there, um, what are some of the things that we can do to raise awareness for prevention? Even if we're not, um, say we're empty nesters or if we don't have children of our own, what, what are some of the things that we can do? 
Well, you know, Melissa, it's great that you bring up that point, because I think often when people hear we're going to talk about child abuse, the kind of taboo topic, people go, oh, let me change the channel. So I want to encourage everybody to stay because this is a really we're, we're really in a time period where we're changing the conversation around child abuse mm -hmm. prevention. And that is we're trying to build more resilient communities mm -hmm. so that we can prevent these episodes from happening and if we can prevent children from being broken that's just a better win for everybody for the children and for our community so as far as what people can do and that's why i'm so happy to have so many different of your viewers um coming on today whether you're grandparents or your your parents or maybe you've just been people that have traveled the world you don't even have a lot of interaction with children there's still something that everyone can do and so we call those protective factors and that's one of the things we're working really hard here in wayne county uh in a across the nation really to build are these protective factors. So it, being connected to children in some way. So let's say you have an opportunity in your church to mentor, mm -hmm. to volunteer, or we are really going to be looking for a lot of folks to go into these school systems and to support our schools as we go back in. So really any way that you can make that connection. And another really important piece is how can you help support parents so that they are not as stressed and also help, help them to learn good parenting techniques where parents, and mm -hmm. I don't know about, maybe your girls came out with the manual mine nope, did not did not nope. okay no manuals come out with children um i have this manual in my car right that tells mm -hmm. me all about my car never read that don't plan on it however there is one i could refer to if i need to but children do not yep. come with instruction books and so a lot of times i hear people and i'm sure you do too melissa like oh well if those parents would just xyz but you know where what we really want to do is begin conversations on what do parents need and how can we as a community support parents in that regard so there's really a lot of ways that we can build a resilient community to actually prevent child abuse from being uh something that we even have to deal with yeah but i'm thinking some of the ways the physical ways that people can help like, yeah for instance planning ah. a pinwheel garden i have some right outside we're actually going to sit on the ground but yeah the the bugs were not cooperating no. look the wind's blowing right now look at perfect. it it's perfect on time um but you could plant a pinwheel garden and just for child abuse of prevention i mean i actually got ordered these from amazon so yeah and you can wear blue um, blue is the month for this month is how we recognize the child abuse prevention month. So anything but the pinwheels, a lot of people ask, what is the significance mm -hmm. of the pinwheel related to that? And really, it's to represent the innocence of childhood um, and the hope and the dreams that we have that we are raising strong and resilient children and protecting our children. It shows unity as a community that we value children. Uh, and you know, Melissa, we're living in a very divided time mm -hmm. right now, uh, sadly, about a lot of issues. But you know, the one thing I love about advocating for children, no one ever goes against me on that one. Everyone yep. loves children yep. and wants to do what's best for our kids. And so, hey, I'm happy to be on a side where everybody's rah rah for that. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm going to step out and I'm going to let Melissa take over the show. Um, this, she has a great little presentation and things because this is her field. But I really want you guys to listen in. If you have comments, please leave a comment. We can always look at them. And we'll throw them up on the screen as well. So here you go, Melissa. I'm going to okay, let you take it thanks. away. All right, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. And if you're just um, 
jumping on and you're coming into this. We're having a conversation today outside the blog cabin, which we're happy to be out today. It's a beautiful day here this afternoon. And we're here having conversations about child abuse prevention and awareness. Um, and so I'm going to start with the basics because a lot of people, when you have these conversations, the immediate question that people have is, how can I know if a child or my child is in a situation where they are being uh, neglected and abused. So when we talk about child abuse, we are talking about physical abuse, sexual abuse, but we're also talking about neglect and maltreatment of children. So there's a whole array of things that go on with that. So first of all, if you are in connection with a child, whether it's your child or a child in your community, um, you begin to look at the behaviors of a child. Um, so if you have a child who was very outgoing and talkative and energetic, and all of a sudden you shift these behaviors, you see some really significant changes. And maybe this child becomes very withdrawn uh, and not as engaged as you normally would see. We might start to wonder what's going on with this child and in that situation. We can also see the opposite of that. We can see children who were kind of shy and to themselves and maybe they begin to have very aggressive behaviors or things are just very different. Anytime you see a shift in your child's behavior that is extremely significant from what you normally would see or a child that you know, those are times to start asking questions uh, about what's going on. There's also some great prevention tips to help your children as children are growing um, so that they are protected and safety. One of the things I want to bring out today, we are online and we are living in an online world. And let me tell you, folks, with COVID, we've seen a big uptick of uh, online predators for children. Many times these folks will masquerade, if you will, um, on video game platforms and they will befriend children on these platforms and make children believe that they are the same age as the child or they have the same interests as a child. And then these conversations become more and more into other avenues. So, you know, I want to really encourage you as parents to really monitor your children's use of technology. Um, you know, and I tell you, you have to get pretty savvy. I have three teenagers and thankfully I've learned some tricks over the years. Um, but, you know, there is no such thing as really invading privacy when it comes to these things, because protecting our children is an extremely uh, valuable thing that we need to look at. Uh, human trafficking is a real problem. I know Melissa has had some guests on here before to talk about that. So really watch Watching your children, educate your children, let your children know that not everyone that they meet online is a friend or indeed the same person that they portray themselves to be. Um, so having conversations with your kids about that is very important when it comes to sexual abuse. From the time that your children are really young, begin to use anatomically correct names. I know for parents that can seem a little weird sometimes to say to your two-year-old vagina or penis, but it's very important to use those proper terms because often in sexual abuse, um, perpetrators will use pet terms and that kind of thing. So one of the things I did with my children is I said to them when we would take baths, we would talk about how important it is that only, you know, that they folks not touch them in places where their bathing suit covered up, that those were their special private areas. And that was where that belonged to them. So those are some ways that you can start to have those conversations um, with your children. And just as your children are growing and evolving, using proper terminology and talking about these things um, is very helpful. 
Another thing that we can do with children, which is a part of that protective factors, um, when we talk about um, protective factors for child abuse, I know this isn't the best little printout in the world, but we have five main key ones. And one of those is building social and emotional competence in children. And this starts at the very beginning. It starts as children begin to acquire language. And I mean, very babbling language. And so when you talk about young children and feelings, it can often be difficult for you to have those conversations when we're trying to learn words. So I know this might not be the easiest thing to see, but it is there's a wonderful children's book called The Color Monster, um, and it is a really adorable book. And this is actually a board game that goes along with it. And I just put it on the board here with magnets. But children can really understand emotions when you begin to talk about colors. And so you can talk about how all, you could take crayons. You don't even need the game or the book. And you can draw all the colors on there and say, you know, what if how, what does yellow feel like? Yellow feels happy. What does red feel like? Red feels like mad. What does a black crayon feel like? Oh, maybe that feels like being scared and blue feels like being sad. Your child, you can do the colors and let your child label the feeling to their own color. It doesn't have to match this particular situation. Um, but it can be difficult for children to label emotions. So as you start to do this, you can use things like this to help them label. Oh, I'm feeling happy today or I'm feeling sad today. I'm feeling afraid today and begin to use that language very early in childhood and walk that out over the years so that when you start to see your child by the time they're elementary school age, they're able to verbalize and even preschoolers. I was just in classrooms this week doing this very lesson. It was really fun. Um, very challenging with a mask to try to make facial expressions and get kids to recognize emotions, but they have their own little language and so adorable. So beginning to label those feelings very early on, because if your child has the language, then they also have the ability to tell you when something doesn't feel right or something is not going well. So we always get into this part. Then people say to me, okay, well, I have seen bruises or I see things on a child and I'm very concerned. What do I do about that? Well, in most states, um, for a while, I'll use Wayne County as an example, but most of us make those reports through our Department of Social Services. And those are anonymous hotlines where you call in. Um, you would need basic information, at least to give a report of maybe the location, the child's name, just in whatever you know about that situation. We also have people who are called mandatory reporters, and those are folks like teachers and myself as a mental health professional. People, if we know or suspect even the suspicion, we have to make those reports. Um, so it's very important. You know, people say, well, what if I don't know and what if I'm wrong? If you have a gut feeling, you make that call because what will happen is that will be investigated. It's not our place to know exactly whether that event did or did not happen. But I can say this, if you have a gut feeling that something doesn't feel right with a child, then go ahead and make that report. Because if it's unsubstantiated, then it's unsubstantiated. But we want to make sure that we're looking out for our kids and we have eyes on them and what is going on in that world. So again, like I said, it's a lot to... Um, to think about when we think about children and protecting them. And there are those basics, one, educating children about um, being safe and how they can be safe um, as parents, um, doing our best to safeguard children. And as a community, it's really a community uh, participation event. I know my first uh, experience in Kenya, I will never forget 
walking around and just everywhere I looked, there were children, 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 but no adults anywhere to be found. And as a mother at the time, I just thought, oh, who's looking out for these children? And the God who was with me, we asked that question and his answer was the village looks out for the children. So everyone is has a place and a purpose to protect and look out for children in our community. Um, so some more ways that we can really do this. We are working really hard to move into what we call building resilient communities. Here in Eastern North Carolina, we have experienced two massive back-to-back -back hurricanes. And now we are in the middle of a year, we're walking into year two of a global pandemic. So children in our communities have really experienced a lot of trauma. Um, and I wanted to say early on, and I, I'm sorry that I didn't get this in early. I got so excited, I just ran with it. But this is a very um, difficult conversation and child abuse and abuse in general is very prevalent in our society. So it's a likelihood that some of you who are watching a high number, sadly, did experience child abuse in your own lifetime. And so some of this that we may be talking about today could be very activating for you or could make you reflect on your own experience. And I would just um, caution you on that and also encourage you that if you've never had the opportunity to work with a mental health professional to work through those things, that there are things that can be very healing for you, no matter how long ago that event occurred. So reach out to um, your physician or your local um, mental health providers to get some guidance on where would be a good place to do that. And one good thing to know about trauma therapy now is that we don't always have to talk about what happened to you. Sometimes what happened to you is not as important as how we begin to work with the body and the mind in order to heal through those things. So I just want to put that out there. And again, I'm sorry that I didn't get that in there in the beginning, but it's a very important part of this conversation. So one of the things I alluded to earlier is building in parent supports. And this is the key because, you know, a lot of times we want to place blame. And I'm, I try to be careful not to say this sentence. I think this is a very dangerous sentence to say. I would never fill in the blank. You know, um, you hear stories on the news or you see things and, you know, the reaction is, well, I would never. Who would do that to a child? And yes, these are terrible things and we want to protect children. But we have to remember that it is a very rare occasion that someone just wants to harm a child. Generally, what's happening is we've got overly stressed environments going on and we've got people who are trying to do the best that they can. And we call it in mental health. We've run out of capacity. It's like a glass of water. And if your glass is already full and you dump some more water in there, it's going to just come over the top. But if we have a little margin, then we've got some capacity to fill into that spot. So what we want to do as a community is we want to build that capacity for our parents. So how do we do that? One is, and this is something we're doing here in Wayne County, and it's happening across our state, very excited about, we're really rallying all of our resources together and trying to create um, a, a basically like a, a one-stop shop clearinghouse. Where can parents get 
parent training? Where can they get parent support? Where can they maybe get some respite care or find out where some good childcare options are? And in the state of North Carolina, we're very fortunate to have um, what are called our partnerships for children, our Smart Start programs. And uh, many communities have this um, here in Wayne County. We're very fortunate to have an excellent one. And parents can reach out there for resources um, to find for parent training classes and also for childcare options that they would be good. But Parent, parental stress is always an issue, but we are particularly concerned with that from the beginning of COVID all the way to where we are now. We have parents who have not typically been parents who were under a lot of stress and distress. They had a lot of capacity in their cup, you know? And so what happens now is with all these ad added stressors that we have building on because of COVID, now I have a parent who had pretty good management of emotions and able to, to take care of things. And now their cup is overflowing and not in a good way. And then maybe we have a child who's going through some their own stressors because of what we're going through. And it's just really kind of a lethal combination of these stressors together. So we've always needed to support our parents and put things in place, but now is more important than ever. And so I just really want to encourage you, if you are a parent watching this, first of all, there are really good resources for you, no matter where you're watching this resource. Um, in, in the state of North Carolina, if you want to find something online for free, you can log on to Triple P or you can just Google Triple P Parenting in North Carolina. Triple P is an evidence-based parenting program and that now would be free to you, which, hey, I love that price. If I can get something for free, I'm gonna sign up for it. So with the online platform here in North Carolina, you can log in, create your user account and access the training videos and all of the good information that comes along with that for free. And I know for many parents, it's overwhelming. I even with teenagers, your schedule is packed and it's busy. So if you can log on to that on your device, that's always a really good thing to do. We, we do have in-person classes um, that you can find by logging on and looking at your local partnership for children or consult with your child's pediatrician to find out in your community where some of those resources would be. Um, for you. And then I want to encourage those of you who maybe you've already raised up children or maybe you haven't had children or maybe you just want to know how to support and help. Maybe in our faith-based communities, um, if your church is willing to offer some parenting classes or a respite for parents, you know, a drop-in time for them to parents to get a break, um, anything, uh, whether maybe volunteering as a foster grandparent in the school these are wonderful ways and it really only takes one strong connection that can actually change the trajectory of a child's life. So we, again, we're back to those protective factors. If you, when I get folks in my office um, who have overcome a lot of adverse experiences, we call, we talk about adverse childhood experiences. Those are called ACEs for short. And when I get folks in that have overcome challenges, it is in, evitable that they have some key protective factors in their lives. And oftentimes those people were coaches, they were teachers, they were mentors, they were faith leaders, they were people that had significance. They could have been an uncle, an aunt, these people can walk in all kinds of spaces of life for people. But that one solid connection can be the thing that changes a child's life. It can also be the door that opens them up to say, something bad is going on at home or something bad is going on at school and I want to tell someone. So these are just some of the ways that we can really um, 
support our children and help our children. Um, Melissa knows I could talk about this all night. So I want to see if she has some questions. Actually, I do have a few questions. Like number one, like during COVID, I remember when you came on at the very beginning when, when Chats in the Blog Cabin first started, um, how you were saying that the incidence of child abuse was going down because the eyes were not on the children and there were the reports were not being out. How can you get around that now? Mm -hmm. Because obviously some of the school systems are not back in school full time. Mm -hmm. so yeah. And, and, and so what we were discussing about that is that when you look statistically at the numbers of reports that were being made, especially in the early months of COVID, it did look like the child abuse and neglect numbers were declining. But in fact, that was very scary because children were now at home and not in their settings like school where we have eyes on them. We have a teacher that's looking at them. We have all kinds of support staff that are looking at them to be able to say something doesn't seem right. So our fear is potentially when children do come back into full on school, which we in North Carolina, we're all back in the classroom now, but in full on effect that we're going to see sadly um, some results of that, that we we're fearing might be the uptick of that. So as far as what we can do about that, it's really, we're back to the good old days of the community. You know, if you are the neighbor and you see things that you do not think looks right or things seem awry, then you need to think about making that report like we talked about. I think we tend to say, well, that's not my business. And we try to keep to ourselves. Of course, this is the South. We make everybody's business our business. But in, in other parts of the country, maybe you guys don't. But no, seriously, we do try to people will say, well, that's not my business. But we have to remember that children um, do not have advocates except for adults. Okay. So we are in essence, their voice and their advocates. And so again, I just want to say to people, trust your gut instinct because it's really there for a reason. And, you know, like I said, the reporting of these things is done anonymously. Um, and so therefore it's not our problem to figure out what is going on. It's just our responsibility to put eyes on and to see what we think might, might, be a solution or, or make that report. Yeah, that's that was my next question is a lot of people were saying it's not my problem. It's not my, you know, I'm not going to get involved. I, I'm, I'm going to mind my own business and I'm not going to get involved for fear yeah. of basically saying the wrong thing or having the wrong, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they say, oh, they think it's child abuse, but it's not really child abuse. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I say about that is, you know, we we live in a time period where we really and I'm, I'm going to confess myself right here. I moved into a new neighborhood in February and, I, you know, one neighbor sent down, brought down cookies, which was so nice. But I don't know my neighbors either. So I'm putting myself out there, guys. I'm going to say it, too. But I think in these situations, when you begin to wonder about what's going on with children, you know, befriend your neighbors, ask them, can, you know, what can you do? Can you be supportive in some way? Um, you know, can you, maybe you have a really nice backyard that the kids want to come and play in, you know, but I also want to uh, share with people the other side of that coin as well. I think we always want to, you know, in a lot of our churches, we have something called safe sanctuary, which means that we follow a certain guideline where we make sure that we as adults 
are protecting children and protecting ourselves. So, you know, just using common sense, um, if there's uh, children involved, we want to have two adults around so that we we have, uh, you know, responsibility and accountability on things um, and just using common sense of things so that we are putting children in safe spaces. If you are that neighbor that wants the, the child to come outside, then be outside where the parent can see what's going on and just putting yourself in positive positions. But yes, it does tend to be that thought of it's not my place. But I think also I think just reminding yourself that you are an advocate for children. And what else do you have to share with us, Melissa? Because I know you have more stuff. Yeah, I have lots of fun stuff, too. I um, just really want to reemphasize to folks um, how important it is to teach children to use a vocabulary regarding feelings. You know, as a therapist, um, I see people come in my office as adults. And even as adults, we barely got past Sesame Street. We're either mad, happy or sad. And, you know, that's pretty much it. Um, so I encourage parents to, you know, use books. The library has wonderful books you can check out, you know, little board books for our little tiny tots and lots of feelings. Um, and, you know, as we work our way up through the ages and stages, you know, please don't forget about your teenagers. Teenagers have a lot of emotions and they are also at high risk. I think we think a lot about the child abuse and prevention so much with the little folks and we should, but we have to remember that, you know, teenagers live in abusive situations and teenagers can get in abusive relationships. Um, so we, we want to keep that, that thought there, keeping up that conversation and connection. And like I said, I have three teenagers and on any given day, some of them are not in a glorious mood to have a conversation, but it's trying to keep that connection going so that they have that, that connection. Uh, you know, I find that grandparents can be so wonderful here um, with teenagers in particular, just helping them to use those words, you know, um, how they're feeling and what's going on and that, you know, these that a lot of different feelings are important. And I'm going to switch gears a bit and talking about staying calm, how to stay calm. Um, you know, parenting is <laughs> not for the faint of heart, for sure. And we are human and we can be stretched beyond capacity as many of us have found this year, even if we already knew before that that was already a problem. Um, so I just will encourage parents that go ahead and know what you're going to do to calm down before you need to calm down. So go ahead and think about, okay, when my child gets to this particular place, what do I need to do? You know, I, mommy needs a timeout sometimes. Daddy needs a timeout. Grandma needs a timeout. Sometimes we just need to be able to walk away. Sometimes you might just need to make sure that child is in a safe place. For example, you know, those of you that have had uh, an infant that could not be soothed and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried for days and days, that is very, very difficult. And I tell people all the time, if you want to get a terrorist to make a confession, play the sound of a crying baby for multiple days straight and I assure you, you'll get it right out because it will really take you to a place. Maybe you need to walk and put that child down in a crib and you need to call a friend or you need to call somebody to come and support you because you've had it and you've checked out. That does not make you a bad parent. That makes you a responsible parent. So we need to have these plans in place though before we get to, as I like to say, the volcanic ash is already coming out of the volcano. Because like I said, most of us in our calm, right state of mind would not do things that are harmful or injurious to children. Um, but when we talk about brain, the brain and brain chemistry, when we get into stages of anger, 
we, we disconnect from the part of the brain that allows us to make rational decisions. And so by the time we get to that place, we're not making good decisions. So that's why you need to have a plan before. Maybe you need to put that child in a safe space or you need to tell, the, tell your teenager to go up to the room. You need to pour yourself a glass of water and sit on the back porch and just calm down. Everybody has their own strategies. Maybe you need to go take a walk around the block. Um, maybe you need to call a friend. But go ahead and think, what is this thing that I'm going to do when I feel out of control? Because we are going to at some point feel out of control. And then when that time has passed and you're in a more calm state, then you can return to your child and deal with them on the issue that may be causing you to get to that place. And that circles us back around to the favorite topic I'm going to come back to every time. And that is parenting skills. Parenting is just like anything else in life. You have to acquire the skills and some things work better than others. And if you have multiple children, some things work better for some children than others. So I think making sure that you can get that information wherever you get it that will help you um, be able to help your child. If you're particularly if your child, the thing that triggers your frustration with them is the same thing that they do over and over and over again. Generally, we can find new ways to stop that particular behavior or get them moving in a different direction. I know lots of times toddlers can take us from zero to 100 very quickly because we all know what their favorite word is, right? No, they do not like the word no. Now, they like to tell you no, but they do not like the word no. And so that can be a big trigger for toddlers. And so parents need to decide how to to navigate that. And often one of the best things to do with that is avoid using the word no. So if you have something that you want your toddler not to do, then we call it redirection and redirect the toddler into the thing that you want them to do instead. So if they have their feet banging, banging, banging on the coffee table, instead of saying no, stop and don't quit, we would say, put our feet on the carpet and let them walk very softly, just using the language that you want the child to take in. Because ultimately the goal of parenting and behavior training is what? To get them to do the thing that is needed or the new task that is needed to to learn these things. So uh, we wanted to teach. That's the whole point. Discipline. People think about discipline. They think it means to punish, but it actually means to teach or instruct. Um, so that's kind of what that is on that part. Melissa, other questions um, or folks asking questions? Bag of, bag of something oh, else? yes, I do. I do. I do. Yes. In my one of my career fields, I wanted to be a magician. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not really. <laughs> that would not go very well. I assure you. But I brought these scarves because um, children, particularly young children, we talked about using colors for emotions, but children love to sing and dance. And you know what I love about little kids? Because I was in the classroom with them this week. They do not care what their dance moves look like, right? They just put it out there and they just dance with the band, just out there just fully doing it. I love it. So one of the things we can do with kids is you can take things like scarves and you can talk about, oh, what do you, when you see this color, again, you can use this with paper or crayons too. But when you see this color, how, how does that, how does that make you feel? What's the word you would use with this? And then you compare that with music because we all know the experience of hearing a song and that evoking emotion, right? Sometimes that is very much like excitement, like, oh, this is a good bop or, oh, a memory. How many of us, a song takes you to a place? 
can we get an 80s playlist going right now? Because I can get all kinds of emotions going with that. Or it might make us sad because the memory that's connected is with someone that's no longer with us. So um, one fun thing you can do with your kids is make a playlist of all different kinds of songs with different beats, different feels, and play the music and dance around together, whether it's with your scarves or whether you're just dancing together. And then say, how did that song feel in your body? You know, and remind yourself that the feeling that your child gets from that song may not be the same song, a feeling that you get from that song. You might feel one way and your child might feel a totally different way. And that's OK. We want to validate that. We don't want to say, well, no, don't you think that song makes you feel happy? Maybe it doesn't make them feel happy. Maybe it makes them feel calm or, um, you know, um, Maybe it makes them feel joyful, just whatever word they want to use. Um, but also I bring these to remind us that when we work with children about emotions and feelings, that emotions and feelings occur on a spectrum. And that's an important thing for adults to understand, but particularly we want our children to understand. So not only do, do we feel mad on a scale of zero to ten, how mad are we? Um, and so with the mad, you can use if you have that, uh, you know, there was nothing better in my life than that massive 64 pack of crayons with the built in sharpener on the back. Mm -hmm. Right. Everybody remembers. OK, maybe not you young people. Sorry, but y'all missed a really great thing with that. But you can take the various shades of red with the crayon and go from lightest to darkest. And we can talk about maybe feeling I was I'm feeling a little bit frustrated with this color. I'm mad at this color. I'm really mad at this color. Or if you get into your older kids who can use um, deeper language, like from feeling agitated to feeling frustrated to feeling infuriated. So just learning to use this spectrum. Um, and that's one of the things I'm even finding with teenagers today is that they're they're using the correct term. But there's just this deep intensity with every feeling like everything is a 10. But, you know, so that's one of the things I spend time with with clients is, you know, if you're feeling depression, we want to also know where are we on that spectrum of depression, because that helps guide us as far as how we can gauge our treatment and how well we're doing. So doing the same thing with a blue crayon for feeling sad um, or anything you can think of. The last thing I'll say for parents and children is we've talked about staying calm, right? There's there's something you can do wonderful with your children. I was in the classroom with two year olds the other day and they did it brilliantly. So you can start it as early as possible. But we take we'll take our hands with their and have them put it on their heart. And you can do the same as a parent and say, this is our calm space. And the great thing about your calm space is it goes everywhere you go. Now, I could literally and I probably did just leave my purse at home driving over here. So I'm be real careful going home. But I cannot leave my calm space, which is amazing. And children can't. They might forget and leave their teddy bear, but they will always have their calm space with them. So with that, I ask kids to put their hands over their heart and we say, let's go to our calm space. And we just kind of look down at the floor or sometimes we close our eyes, just depending on how we want to feel in that space. And we take a couple of deep breaths. And we just talk about how we can go there, whether we're feeling sad, whether we're feeling mad, whether we're feeling overwhelmed. And sometimes if parents, if we use this on a regular basis, then the parent and the child can go to the calm spot together, maybe even in different rooms and then come back together. Such an amazing skill to embed in our children at a young age. And honestly, we as adults need that even more than ever today, for sure. That's for sure.
I'm gonna scoop that okay. in. Yes, please do. Oh, we gotta get all of our props out of the way here, right? All of Melissa's props. I <laughs> yeah, love it when my Melissa car is like off. a mobile therapy clinic at this point. So, you know, what do you do? Take it on the road, huh? Okay, Melissa, I do have a couple of questions okay. for you. Um, okay. Sorry about the lighting. The sun just started to come That's out. That's okay. The sun shines on Melissa and Melissa. We can't yeah. help it. It just follows um, us. You were talking earlier about the internet. Yes, ma'am. Now, what do you say? What's the <laughs> argument for teenagers who want to be famous? TikTok famous, YouTube mm -hmm. famous, Instagram famous? Sure. Um, you know, that's tough, but I, I say that if they want to do those things, then parents need to be involved. Um, parents need to have a conversation. You know, if your kid wants to be the next YouTube star, go ahead. But moms and dads mm. or, or, or someone needs to be supervising what's going on. What is the content that's going up there? And I will you you need to have these conversations with your kids because they need I think they are. You know, they're they're naive, which is good. But even though we're living in a very worldly time. Mm -hmm. These th these predators are very smart and I use the word smart, not in a great way, but they're very mm -hmm, sly. I guess mm -hmm. that's the word I would use maybe. And so what they will do, and I've had more than one case of this, they will befriend the particular child and then they may get the child to like send them a picture or something that would be inappropriate that they know that the parent would be upset about and they use that as leverage or blackmail against the child to get them to continue to do further and further and more into it because the child of course is worried about what mm -hmm. getting in trouble with mom and dad bad. and that this is a bad thing and of course that's something that um, molesters have been using for a long time you know if your parents find out about this or grandma or whoever you know you'll be in trouble so i think we're back to communication with your children from a very young age that this is always inappropriate even if it's a relative no one should be doing very specific things you know um you can be as graphic with them as you need to like it's okay to wipe your bottom it's not okay you know things that are appropriate mm -hmm. but these conversations have to be had and continue to be had because like i said it's very easy and to let kids know that you know, these things happen and you need to to come to us and we won't be angry with you. We won't be upset. And just uh, but back to if they want to do those things, mm -hmm. just monitoring. There's great um, so, um, programs out there that will monitor your children's things and give you reports about websites they've been to and all that. And you know what, guys, I don't even want to get into this privacy conversation because your mm -hmm. children are just too important. Um, and up until an age when they can navigate and make decisions for themselves and you know they are in that place. And that's a, that's a place where I mm -hmm. get in conversations with parents. What's the age? What's the place? But you know what? That depends on the child. Yep, um, it really, really does. And Melissa, you've raised three and I'm still trying to get three launched out than this. And you know that mm -hmm. each of them are very different. They are totally One different. of them I let loose at an early age. The other one might be on a leash for quite some time. Yep, yeah, that's pretty much. <laughs> yeah, because it's amazing that you can parent them all the same, but they all come out differently. Sure, sure. They're, they have their own personalities Personality. as well as they should. Right. So. So let's talk. Okay, let's talk about some of the signs of child abuse. Okay, because we're all talking about physical signs, and obviously, sexual abuse is not so you can't really see it as much. Right. But let's re-talk about <laughs> okay. that. Some of the physical signs, sure. and then maybe some other physical signs for sexual abuse. Okay. So with physical abuse, it's exactly what you would think about. One thing to think about is if it's summertime and this child always has on long pants and long shirts all the time. 
I'm going to start to ask some questions. Why does this child have on this type of clothing uh, in, in a different type of setting? It's, is something being covered up? But where, you know, children are accident prone. Holy cow. I used to say all the time with my middle one, goodness gracious, I couldn't believe someone didn't call social mm -hmm. services. And because she looked uh, black and blue from falling down in, in her middle name mm -hmm. is Grace, but God bless her soul. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, some kids are going to be looking for things that would be in odd places. I mean, a child doesn't generally get a bruise on the neck or does something look like a hand arm print, something like that. So looking at these things, um, you know, obviously our clinicians who see children in pediatric practices, you know, children that have repeated injuries or broken bones or things. And of course, we all know that can be ch children as well. But those mm -hmm. are some of the physical signs. And of course, those physical signs can also be coupled with those emotional signs Sorry. that I talked about mm -hmm. earlier, whether it's acting out behaviors or withdrawing behaviors. As far as sexual abuse, that gets really um, tricky because um, sometimes there are no no actual physical signs. But you may see what we call regressive behaviors with children who may be experiencing sexual abuse. Um, they may all of a sudden not want to be separated from you. They may really have a hard time being left alone, even in a room. They may be a child that had, you know, maybe stopped thumb sucking for years and they regress back into that mm. thumb sucking. They may be a child who had not wet the bed in years and years and now they're wetting the bed frequently or soiling their pants, doing things that like we talked about before, um, they've they've come through those stages or overcome those stages. Um, you know, emotional abuse would have very similar uh, symptoms like we talked about. And the difficult thing about emotional abuse, whether you're talking about children or adults, it is often very difficult to discern what is going on with that. And that can be, be hard to figure out, even for folks who are adults living in emotionally mm -hmm. abusive situations. And I'd also like to bring in with this, if you see or suspect that a child is in an abusive situation, you're going to want to put your radar up for is mom or dad also in an abusive mm -hmm. situation. And we tend to focus on women, but I think it's very important for people to know men can be victims of domestic violence as well and abuse and men can be perpetrated uh, in many ways that we often just think about women and children. So please don't always think that it's just one sided. Um, but as far as protecting children, maybe you see the evidence on the mother or the father, but you do not necessarily see it on children. But we know that children are living under what we call toxic stress, even if the parent is not laying a hand on them or the individual in the home who is. Um, so there's a lot of different things that we that come under abuse. When we talked about adverse childhood experiences, we talk, we call those ACEs. Some of the things that go into that don't fall under the category of physical, sexual, um, or emotional abuse. There are things like having a mentally ill parent in the home, having mm -hmm. a, a parent who is a substance abuse uh, struggling parent in the home, a parent who's incarcerated so that parent, children don't have access to to a lot of parental support and care. So there's a lot of things that fall under that. As a matter of fact, COVID falls under adverse childhood yeah. experiences and the natural disasters that we talked about mm -hmm. earlier. So we're all coming back around to this one beautiful point, which is as a community, it is our charge and our responsibility to ensure that children grow up in the best way possible. You know, every child deserves to be loved and to grow up thinking that they can do and be whatever they mm -hmm. wanna be. Um, and so, like I said, it doesn't always, it's not always doom and gloom if they're living in a difficult situation, but I think that we can really make a difference if we all mm -hmm. stop 
pointing fingers, I guess I would uh -huh. use that instead. Instead of saying, how can that happen? The question needs to be, what can I do in the community to make sure that those things don't happen? Which brings me to another point. How do we stop the cycle of abuse? Because most children that are abused grow up to be abusers. Right. And you know, it's so challenging and people often say, why in the world would you do that if you grew up like that? <laughs> but I also said I was not going to be a yeller. Um, my parents were yellers and I was not going to yell at my children. That lasted about two days um, anyway, but it's hard. These things are hardwired. They're ingrained. And we go back to knowledge base. We tend to parent the way we were parented, or we try to go the opposite direction often. So that goes back to two things. One, if you're watching this and you yourself were experienced abuse, please reach out and get proper help so that you can work through those things. You may think that you will be in a different space, but you'll definitely be on the right track when you've done that. So we call that breaking that generational trauma mm -hmm. cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so and then the other piece that comes in with that, and that's where we're working so diligently. I'm so honored to be a part of the Head Start Early Head Start community. Currently, we've been looking at this before I ever came into this community. Head Start's been doing a great job with trauma for many, many years. But we are really working what we call um, building trauma informed communities. And what that means is that every single person, our goal is that everyone walking around the community will understand just what trauma does to an individual and, and understand, recognize that you and I sitting here mm -hmm. each have a story uh -huh. and we have to respect and honor each other that, that we could have trauma in that history. Yep. And so we are also working in our particular world. We want to educate our teachers our teachers. And guess what? Teachers have trauma. Mm -hmm. And so we're also working to help the teachers with those particular traumas so that they then are in a better position to work with children mm -hmm. and then working with the parents that are connected to children. So we're just looking to just uh, really talk it out to everybody. Yep. Get it out there to everybody. Yeah, for sure. And Melissa, I want to thank you for suggesting coming, suggesting the chat and for coming on. I mean, and for being the first outdoor <laughs> chats on the blog cabin, even though the sun kind of went behind okay. the clouds and, and the plane, the signs of freedom. <laughs> That's right. Going See, over. We're Johnson Air Force and Base. I, Shout out. And I think um, my neighbor decided to use his chainsaw at the moment. So, But, you know, this is life. Yeah, And I is. think that um, it's important that you know, everything's not um, glossed over and photoshopped and edited out. Real life is stuff happening. And so that's why I said earlier, go ahead and know what's going to be your plan to, yep. to figure it out. Right. We did. We just kept going. Yeah, we just kept going. <laughs> Power through. Yep, for sure. And guys, really, honestly, if you um, are, you know, someone who's been a, a victim of child abuse or is a victim or you suspect, call, reach out to somebody. Either whether it's a school, whether it's a police officer, social worker, was mm -hmm. a health department, was mm -hmm. some other the pediatrician, yeah. um, preschool teachers, mm -hmm. whatever you know, reach out. Um, you can also just kind of you can even message me if you want or message Melissa. I'll put her little thing up there, and we can kind of get you to the right person that where you can report it or talk to. And you know, Melissa, about. that's a great idea that you just brought out. If somebody is hesitant about making that reported call. Go into the school and speak with the. I'm a former school counselor. Share yep. your concerns with the school counselor and share your concerns with the professional or teacher of that, whoever, 
and talk it out. And then together you guys can make the best decision. And again, back to we are mandatory reporters. So are teaching staff. So if we hear something that makes our feathers go up, then we would have to make a report too. So don't let that fear of doing mm -hmm. it be what stops you. Um, do do go have that conversation with someone that you uh, would do and also not with everyone all over the community, just someone that you trust. really trust and, and would be in a position to give you good counsel. And don't let the fear of retribution stop you from saving someone. Absolutely. Because I've heard so many stories of people saying, if only I had acted sooner, maybe so-and-so would still be alive. Yeah. Those are things so. that are difficult. And, you know, my thing as a therapist is I've never wanted to wake up um, and back when we had newspapers or but I've never wanted to read in the news about anyone that was ever under my charge. And I hope mm -hmm. to live my whole career and not be in that place. But, um, you know, so it, it's better to err on the side of the safety of the child rather than what that's going to mean for you. Yeah. And guys, once again, it's child child abuse prevention month i had to stop a minute because i was getting stumbled um wear blue of course i didn't get the memo i totally i had blue on earlier and i changed that's okay but and plant pinwheel gardens if you can for child now the wind's not gonna blow of course <laughs> and just you know get get educated um i'm gonna post the links of the two books that melissa showed in the comments so that way you can if you want to go get those books with your children you can i another thing that i was thinking about when you were talking about um scarves and things like that if they even if they don't have scarves they can check out their clothes absolutely especially little girls who love to play dress up that's Talk a about great idea what Melissa. does this look like how do you feel when you put this dress on what yeah. does it look like or even their dolls because sometimes you know yes when they're playing barbies and pulling out and that's another way that you can possibly and thank talk. you for bringing that into play melissa because with the color monster one of the things that is important to note whether you're talking about children children's world is play that's where children live they live in that play world and often a child will not say I feel this way because that's very, that's a lot, right? But they might say Barbie is feeling or Mr. Mm -hmm. Color Monster is feeling or this happened to my stuffed mm -hmm. animal. So it's important that we get into that play world with children and use those as we like to defer it to this non, yeah. in, this inanimate yeah. object is, is a safe place for them to defer that. And I want to say in addition to the Child Abuse Prevention Month, which that's across the board in, in the whole U.S., but also in Wayne County, we actually declared it as Positive Parenting Awareness Month. Uh -huh. And we did cool. that to go along with that to show that strength, what we call a strength-based coming from that position, where we want everybody to know, yes, we want to prevent these things. And this is one of the best ways to do it. I love that. Melissa, I want to thank you for coming on. And as always, you're always welcome back anytime. <laughs> it's always fun when the Melissa and the Melissa show exactly. comes on. Maybe I'll get a blog cabin next door. You got space back there. <laughs> I don't, I, maybe I'll just do an addition and have extra right? studio space there for you everybody. Go, there you go. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. So guys, once again, this is a very important issue, but I really want to thank Melissa for taking time out of her Sunday to come on and chat about this. And I decided well, when she got here, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let you roll with it. And then I'll come back in and ask questions later because I felt like it was too important of an issue to just interrupt. I feel like you had your thing that you thank you give to. So, so once again, Melissa, I want to thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thanks everyone. And then guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye.
Wow, I hope you really enjoyed this episode with Melissa and you learned a lot. Um, maybe not enjoyed it, but really honestly sat and listened to it. There are a lot of things that even those of us that don't have children can actually do to help child abuse uh, prevention and awareness, knowing the signs, knowing what you can do, advocating for children who are who are in those tough situations. Even when you don't feel like you should get involved, like we said at the very end, contact someone. Um, even if it's going to the school and say, hey, I have the suspicion, can you kind of follow through? Because the school has to report it. Um, you may remember Melissa. Melissa has been on several, like I said in the in the front, several episodes of chat from the chats from the blog cabin. She was actually on the very first episode when we were talking about how we can kind of keep our mental health during COVID when the quarantine first started. She was also on the mental health panel that my do- middle daughter Michaela suggested that I do, and then she was on episode seventy four talking about one of the um, organizations that she's a board member of, and that's called Unearth Hope. And so I really hope that you go back and look at these particular episodes, episode one, episode 58, and episode 74, to hear more about what Melissa does, who Melissa is, and really, she's so knowledgeable that when she talks, she really speaks, and she speaks the truth. And if she doesn't know something, she's going to tell you she doesn't know it, but she's going to find out the resources for you. So I really want to thank you guys for tuning in. As always, some of the topics that I go to and that we chat about may not be fun topics. They may be hard-hitting topics, but they're topics that are necessary that we need to talk about in today's society. Child abuse is one of them. We need to learn how to prevent it. We need to be in the prevented mode. Um, So I want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast family. Um, I could not do this without you guys listening to me every day. And I want to thank you so much. Please like a review, leave a rating, subscribe wherever you're listening to this on. And most importantly, I want you to start chatting with each other about the topics that we're chatting about. Just have conversations. Just listen to people. My whole intention for Chats in the Blog Cabin was I wanted to be like there were people sitting down, having a cup of coffee, just having a normal conversation. Not anything that, oh, people like all the time I get, are we going, are you going to send me questions? No, I don't send questions because I want to base our conversation off what you say and what I say back to you. So it's constant listening, being a listener. So that's why I tell you the very beginning of every episode to start listening. And that's why I tell you at the end of every episode, be blessed and remember, keep chatting.